Abolition. Abolition. I was going to come here and start talking about taking the chains off. You see, because from the shores of Africa to the United States of America, black people have been in chains. They've either been in chains of enslavement, chains of the imprisoned industrial system, or chained by the thoughts of their minds. Yeah, I was watching MSNBC the other day, and I heard something that one of the Russians said that stuck with me like glue or gum stuck on my foot. They said, it's the way we mess with their minds. So, I'm Allegra Taylor. I am unapologetically the proud daughter of Mr. Ugo L.A. Pinnell, political prisoner killed in Folsom Prison in 2015. Thanks for coming out to this meeting. All respect to you, let's be seated. We've been stressed, been getting heat. Escalator murders, increased heat. Some of you want to roll your eyes at but you won't when they pull up in them benches. This ain't agenda for advantage. Cut up for the fall of the alley pin. Calling arms like Omba, elbows and knees, we taking headshots. Between a heart and a stone rock, gorillas in the fields killing mascots. Criminals to revolutionaries, wearing all black before the cemetery. Cap leaning in a crunch like red dirt, tell them burn my body, don't let them burn. I was the one in the mess hall, not wearing clothes to the protocol. Never adjusted to the cattle call, nigga had a couple visits, made a couple calls. No matter what they did, I wouldn't quit. Now we got a life, my democracy. We got an army full of tactics, and the strikers are already like a mess. But, whoa, I'ma tell you right now, not trying to make a rider from a nigga who just won't ride. Or relying on a nigga who's half committed part law when his lives on the line. It's on you to decide, but choosing nothing is the same thing as choosing sides. But I can only die once, and there's a bounty for the crowns. We alive, organized, let's march. Nigga, when you can't take no more. Nigga, tapping on a cell block wall. Nigga, tell you relax and face the facts. Bullet in your back, now you're gone that mom. Say one thing, do another that mom. Nigga, they be lying that mom. Cover up mom. Got to be strong when a motherfucker trying to show you who's boss. How many follow, took and swallow, pick the model, brains is hollow. How many took the plea, regrets, change ground on the one to like sex. How many did the crime, page your tides, still locked down and wondering why. How many doing time for crimes against you? Uh, now let me see you put your hands high. We gotta keep up with the stamina, cause they can't wait to call in the examiner. CEOs and nurses try our avenger. No views, no world star cameras. Don't be a patient cause they touch the niggas. MK Ultra, setting niggas. Don't let them give you dopamine, back kitchen, cook vaccine, and men in black beans. No, cage deep like fornication. Red hot chili California cage. Wings clipped by the overseer. Niggas won't fly pelican in isolation. It's a lot of shit they won't face while they put the nightsticks in a dark plate. Can you imagine that it came to this? Hell yeah, cause we knew how long it exists. Like all this resistance, you know the call. That means march, nigga, march, march. Get your reps in on the yard. Meditating on the energy they want to start. Pass the word, mind the guards. Both sides of the wall, we ain't never gonna fall. Power from chaos, we got the like seance. Finna ring alarms in this bitch life. So tell them get the book shut. Tell them we got rookies in the bed shut. Tell them we got women and the men, we ain't tryna make amends, we just tryna slam down guitars. Strategic and we militant. Wu Tang chefs at the grilling pit. Using us as target practice, karma snatching, orangutan boomerang quick. Everybody got a sign. Look each other in the eye and acknowledge us. Huh. 
homies on a block, honey's on a strip. A thousand fleas on a line's lip. Can't touch us all, cause we too legit. Too much pride, too much lineage. Ambitions of a rider, we too lit, I'ma tell you again, not trying to make a rider from a nigga who just won't ride. Or a line on a nigga who's half committed part law when his lies on a line. It's on you to decide, but choosing nothing is the same thing as choosing sides. But I could only die once and as a bounty for the crimes we alive, organized like mine. Nigga, when you can't take no more. Nigga, tapping on a cell block wall. Nigga, tell you relax and face the facts. Roll it in your back, now you're gone, that's mine. Say one thing, do another, that's mine. Nigga, they be lying, that's mine. Cover up, Peace, Max. 
Uh, peace, Brother Yusuf. I'm here calling from the Paul Cuppy Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina. Great. So in music and messaging, last week was one of our most powerful programs to date as we tackled King Cotton. So you, if you missed that program last week, definitely tune in to any of the archives on the networks anywhere, and you can catch that one. You don't want to miss that one, but we're glad that you're here tonight. In the words of George Jackson, the only way the oppressor can maintain his position is by fostering, nurturing, deadly contempt for the oppressed. So this week we want to delve into the tactic of nurturing contempt for the oppressed. We'll be joined by Allegra Casimir-Taylor, the daughter of Hugo Pinnell, who spent 47 years in solitary confinement, which is torture, before being assassinated at the age of 70 in prison by white supremacists at New Folsom Prison on August 12, 2015. He was known as one of the San Quentin Six for his resistance efforts under the leadership of George Jackson. You already know, the music, the poetry would be on another level of powerful. And you'll hear the words of the ancestors brought back to life for a new generation in our Bridging the Gap segment. So before we kick all of that off, Max, tell us about your week. Well, first I want to say that uh, that song to begin with, we started off, that was uh, really powerful um, by Emily. And our guest knows Emily, as a matter of fact. They met after she produced the song. We'll probably talk about that once we bring her in. Uh, as to my week, my week has been normal for, for me here at the PCAC. You know, we've been trying to get more and more states involved with the Abolish Slavery National Network. So now we've got Delaware and we've got Maine and Connecticut coming on board as well. Uh, so we're going to be killing it 2022, man. It's going to be like 15, 20 different states with uh, bills to end slavery in their state because they have legal slavery in that state. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. But there are some things that's going down throughout the month of August. Uh, if you want to give a quick update on those, and then we'll bring in our guests, you know, like we have sh uh, Shutting Down 2021 going on. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, the hunger strike and all the other things. So if you want to give an update on that real quick. Yeah, I definitely want to give the, uh, the update on especially the hunger strikes. So for those who are familiar with uh, No Limit, you know, Master P and all of his crew, C. Murder was a member of the group. And he's actually doing uh, life in uh, Louisiana right now. And he's begun a hunger strike to protest the conditions down in the prisons down there. And on top of that, uh, there's, they're uh, going to be starting a strike. Those who are sentenced under the now unconstitutional and illegal 10 to non-unanimous jury convictions, they're going to be starting a hunger strike beginning tomorrow down in Louisiana prisons, and we know how any movements within the prisons, they spread. You know, so when they had the work stoppage back in 2018 and 2019, it picked up steam, and that's probably the same thing that's going to happen. So anyone that's in a position to support the brothers in any way that they can, support them. So that's all I wanted to update on, Max. Yeah, and, you know, use the hashtag shut them down 2021, shut EM down 2021, and you can find out the different events that are going on for the month of August, and maybe even organize one yourself. So, yeah, that's the updates I wanted to give. But with that being said, man, let's go ahead and bring our guest in, uh, Sister Allegra Taylor, uh, and we'll start with her. 
I believe I got her at nine one six seven six one. Is that you? That's me. Peace. Hey, hey, peace. Welcome, 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 welcome to the program. Yes, indeed. Thank welcome you so to Abolition today. Uh, I, I know you were listening early. Did you get a chance to hear the presentation we did in the beginning? Yes, I did. Awesome. Uh, you know, that was your recommendation. I was like, I got to do something nice with that. So I I tried to dress it up real nice with you introing it and then taking it out with your father. Uh, any comments? No, I'm just, uh, I'm so grateful to Emily for uh, that song. It's a, it's a, uh, It's my protest song. It's my boots on the ground song. It's got a powerful message, revolutionary message to it, and I, I'm just grateful that uh, she contributed that song to my dad. Word, uh, yeah, I, I am too. I must have listened to it about thirty times now, and the more I listen to it, the <laughs> deeper it gets. Right. Know, uh, some of the things that are being said is like inside knowledge, and if you don't know, you don't know. <laughs> you know. That's but right. It, it's That's really right. powerful. Mm-hmm. It is very powerful. I understand you met her as well after she did that song. Yes, I did. I had an opportunity to participate in the Human Rights March for Prisoners in Washington, D.C. And while at that march, I met up with um, Brother Bumani, and he introduced me to the uh, Maroon Schultz daughters. And they invited me out to the Panther Cubs. Cubs are coming in New York. And because I knew it was in New York and I knew that's where Emma was from, from um, I really wanted to meet her. I'd never met her, didn't know anything about her, and I was wondering why she chose to write uh, a song in honor of my dad. And so I thought, uh, why not go to, El- go to New York and two birds with one stone, be a part of the Cubs reunion and uh, meet Miss Emma Lee. And uh, it was definitely a pleasure. To meet her. She's still doing great work out there in New York. She's advanced quite a bit now, and if you don't know her, you need to Google her. Most definitely. And you can find that song on our page at Abolition Today on social media. Uh, you know, we were sharing the same space, you, myself, and Yusuf, and many others that day at the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March on D.C. Uh, that was an amazing moment. Uh, first time I've seen so many people Speak about modern-day slavery and human trafficking in such a way. Right. Uh, right. Definitely amazing. I'm glad to know that you were there. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you take away from that day? Oh, I'm sorry, Yusuf. You had something to say. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that shows you how fate actually happens. Because we didn't get to meet Allegra that day, and here we are sitting down with Allegra. So I just thought that that's, <laughs> you know, uh, just neat that that happened. Absolutely. Um, Allegra, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I, I know that you're an activist uh, or maybe even better yet, an actionist, getting things done, you know? And you also, I've seen you was working with the Poor People's Campaign. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am, uh, I am not an activist like my dad. I'm an advocate. And I'm an advocate because my, my – uh, because I told my grandmother that I wasn't an activist. So that's why I'm an advocate. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Listen, uh, I'm about doing the work. I'm a Cambone. Cambone is about doing the work for the people, and that's what I do. In honor of my dad and memory of my dad and continue his work until we free. 
So as long as there is oppression here in the United States of America in any form of slavery, I think that I owe it to our ancestors, my daddy, and um, our next generations to fight this fight. So I fight on principle. I stand on the principle that they laid, the foundation they laid for us, our ancestors. And, um, you know, the struggle continues. So as long as the struggle continues, we keep up the fight. Uh, I advocate here in Sacramento, California. Um, I'm advocate about educational uh, reform, criminal justice reform, and I'm very involved in the homeless uh, community at, at this time. We run a um, veterans home that houses veterans and formerly incarcerated uh, members uh, returning back to our community. Uh, we run a rites of passage program called the Village Rites of Passage, youth 12 and up. We also cater to the younger kids. We call them our cubs. And um, and I advocate. I, I speak on issues that are pertinent to me, my people, and our community. Um, you know, there's plenty of work out here for all of us to do. Uh, sometimes I think that it is pertinent that where you are strongest, that's where you should use that gift. And somehow down the ways, somehow I've become, um, I'm in a position now to where I use the gift that I've been given, which is uh, my, my voice. So I want to speak up on behalf of issues that I feel that are uh, non-beneficial to my community and the people that I care about. Well, that is incredibly admirable uh, indeed. Uh, Sister Jamilia uh, supposed to, said she was going to call in tonight. If you're listening, remember to press one on your keypad so we know if you have a question or a comment because uh, people just call in sometimes and listen from their phone. Uh, Sister Allegra, I want to ask you, how familiar are you or are you familiar with the slavery abolitionist movement and agenda here in the United States and abroad? So uh, our organization is a uh, sponsoring member or a supporter, endorser of the ACA3 bill, which is the end of California. And so we are very active in that. We will be delivering um, uh, folders to the assembly and those over at the Capitol to let them know on lobby day, just let them know how serious we are about it. If we don't end slavery, in the state of California and in the United States of America, uh, the reparations that we've seen already delivered to to um, different states, it, it won't happen here. So we have to make it real clear that there should be no form of slavery in the United States of America, let alone in the state of California. So I'm very active in this, uh, this movement, and uh, I plan on fighting until we get change. Amen to that. Uh, Brother Yusuf, do you have any questions or comments? I'm just so glad to hear that. I, I figured she would be because, you know, she is the descendant of a legend, you know, and I, I like how she says, okay, you told your grandmother that you're not an activist, but you're an advocate. And one of the, one of, one of the ways of being an advocate is being involved. And you just you, you laid out a litany of things that you're involved in. And then on top of that, you're part of ACA3. So what more could we ask for? You know, thank you for that. You're, you're definitely among friends and allies here at Abolition Today. 
Um, you're also, the brothers of that day were speaking of the same thing as we heard in the opening track with Russia McGee saying, you know, slavery 400 years ago, slavery now is basically the same thing just by a different name. And that people are being railroaded in these systems and they don't even realize it. And the ways that they get us is by brainwashing many of the people in this country to believe that if you've been convicted of something, then you must be the worst criminal on earth. Like right. your father, Hugo Pinnell, for instance, was forced into a plea bargain, right? Uh, a a rape plea bargain and told he'd be getting out right. in six months, right? He'd be getting out in six yeah, months right. and then turned around and ended up with life. You, you want to uh, expand right. on that? Like, so, hmm, do I want to expand on that? Okay, so when you are, when there is a system that's been designed to enslave you, uh, that system isn't designed to, they don't owe you anything. They can tell you anything, but they feel like they don't owe you anything. So even though my dad served his time and should have been let out, they didn't, they didn't do that. And, and who do they have to answer for? I mean, it's the system. It's the very same system that's keeping Rochelle McGee. It's the same system that's designed to do exactly what it's designed to do. So we don't need to be ignorant about the devices that they use. We know what it's about. What we need to do as a people is try not to get caught up in that system. Because once the prison industrial complex catch hold of you, they don't plan on letting you go. Don't you realize that all those bodies that are in prison is job assurance? They can't let them go. Rehab what? Rehab for what? If we rehab prisoners, that means we're not going to have no jobs. So this system mm-hmm. is designed to do exactly what it's designed to do. You know how much money they made off of my daddy's body being in that prison? A lot. And, yes, they promised him that. They trick-bagged my grandmother and had her believe that they were going to let her son come home. She trusted the very system that she believed in, migrated to the United States of America, and believed in the American dream. Right. For what? They never sent her son home, and they never intended to. Just like they don't plan on sending on Rochelle McGee. Exactly, exactly. And uh, a lot of these brothers and sisters have been railroaded into the system through what we call the myth of the Sixth, because uh, the mm-hmm. evidence doesn't show that the Sixth Amendment exists, <laughs> because 95% of all felony cases end in the plea bargain. And that by itself is unconstitutional, where they force you into, the, into pleading guilty to things that you have never actually done, and trick you and lie to you. Or threaten you until you do so. Um, and they'll put you in extended prison time and uh, solitary confinement until you admit to what they want you to admit to. It's just a horrible, horrible thing that we're seeing here. You know, we have a, a few words from your father, Hugo Pinnell. Uh, he did an interview on KTBU News. Uh, and, Brother yeah. Yusuf put together a little something with more techniques and music on it. Uh, would you like to listen to that with us? Yes, please. Oh, all right, awesome. And Jamelia sent me a message. She's on. Uh, press one, Jamelia, so we know which one is you. You're listening I to think she's the 4711. All right, we'll bring you on on the other side of this track. We're going to go ahead and listen to Hugo Pinnell, his interview on KTBU News. We're here with Allegra Taylor 
his daughter, and you're listening to Abolition Today. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. 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 ...is considered the most dangerous prisoner in California. He's kept alive by total isolation from the rest of the inmates at Folsom Prison. That label, he says, may eventually lead to his death in prison. I just started my 20th year in prison, and uh, my 15th year in isolation straight, and my 14th year without having a contact visit with my family or any loved ones, you see? So, uh, and, you know, like I've been made to be in the eyes of the public by the department to be the most dangerous prisoner in the state of California, you see? But now I find myself being the most endangered prisoner at the San Quentin Six trial, Pinnell insisted he represent himself. As a social revolutionary, he says he didn't trust lawyers. Now that Spain will be retried, Pinnell has also started the legal proceedings for a new trial. The Spain conviction was overturned after a secret meeting between the judge and a juror was discovered. For now, Pinnell says he is trying to stay alive and trying to live down his notorious reputation. I want to believe that if I ever the name of Hugo Pinnell is one that used to be in the headlines but hasn't been heard from much in years. A radical prison inmate, a man considered extremely dangerous by prison officials, Pinnell took part almost 13 years ago in one of the most violent episodes in California prison history. That was the case of the San Quentin Six. But now, after spending more than half his life behind bars, Pinnell claims he is more victim than criminal. And to get that view across, he's agreed to only his second interview ever and the first by any Bay Area news organization. Art Cribs has that report. It's a long ways from Nicaragua to Folsom, a long time from a wild kid of 19 to a mature prison veteran of 39. Such is the case of Hugo Pinnell. Hugo Pinnell is what is traditionally called institutionalized. He's been in state penitentiaries for almost 20 years. 14 of those years, he's been in the shoe. That's the security housing unit. We call it the hole. They brought me to Folsom in 1976. They took all the chains. They told me, you'll never be chained here. You'll never be handcuffed. And as long as you behave, then we're going to do contact business and treat you like everybody else. That has not been the case. I've been without chains. I've been without cuffs. I've been able to move around the guards around the, the staff here, and there's no threat on my part, there's no danger on my part, you see. A lot has happened to Hugo Pinnell. In 1971, Hugo's close friend and political ally, George Jackson, was killed in what prison officials said was an escape attempt led by Jackson. Hugo Pinnell insists Jackson was set up and murdered. Pinnell was later convicted with the so-called San Quentin Six for that incident on August 21st, 1971. Today, Pinnell is placed in a 138-cell unit. He's allowed outside a minimum of 10 hours a week. Outside means in the exercise yard within the state's maximum, maximum area. He says he remains here because he's a political prisoner. I'm a political prisoner because uh, I became aware. I became politically involved with the conditions in prison. I became historically aware of what was going on with black people and what was going on and, you know, throughout the world politically. So uh, I think that I am because of the way that I've been persecuted. And all I can say is that he has been because of my political beliefs. Pinnell calls himself a revolutionary, but says he's not a danger to society, that he's the one in danger. He was first isolated from other inmates at Soledad. It was there he was also isolated from his family and the world. I was in the hole in, in, in Owen in Soledad in 1970, and 
I said, we saw the representative in the strike. You know, I was chosen the representative of the strike, and that was about the longest strike we ever had in Solidarity, especially in Oakland. And as a result of that, the officers began kind of hostile towards me. They wanted to isolate me, they wanted to do certain things. So one day they charged me with the assault on a guard, you see? And they took me from that section to a strip cell and kept me there for a while until they moved me to a special cell across, across the wing, you see? And after that, ever since then, like, they took my contact business from my family, from my loved ones, and I haven't even had a contact business since then. On January 28th, Pennell was stabbed. It was the sixth time he had been attacked in seven years. Prison officials believe he's made enemies here because of his political beliefs. Right. He says prison authorities want him dead. I feel that everything that has happened to me with regards to attacks that leads to the administration taking part in this. Although California law requires an annual review of inmates who are in the hole, Pinnell has been here more than half of his 20-year prison career. Warden Joseph Campoy would not talk to us about Pinnell, but a prison official in Sacramento did say, Hugo Pinnell will be an old man before he gets out if he is ever released. Hugo Pinnell is a man buried alive, but who has a family who refuses to let him be forgotten. At Folsom State Prison, I'm Art Cribbs, KTVU, Channel 2 News. Abolition. Abolition. That was the Hugo Pinnell interview with KTBU News, and it was accompanied by the instrumental track by Immortal Technique, Civil War. You're back on Abolition Today with Parthas and Yusuf Hassan, with our guest this evening, Allegra Casimir-Taylor. Allegra, please, uh, how do you, uh, any, any thoughts on the clip we just heard? So, I didn't actually find that clip or know about that clip until after my dad was murdered. And, um, you know, I remember I asked my dad, Dad, why you, you know, why didn't you write your story? How come you never wrote your story? And he always told me that it was never about him, that it was always about the fight that he was fighting and about the people and the changes that they were trying to make. And so when I came across that uh, article, uh, the first thing that came to me was Mr. Cribb's still alive because I wanted to talk to him, and I found that mm. he was. I actually okay. sought out uh, Mr. Cribb's and found him in uh, Southern California, a pastor now of a church, and he was actually doing something on criminal justice reform, honey, on criminal justice reform at his, at his church in L.A. So, of course, I had to take a trip down to L.A., and attend his event. So I did get to attend the event with Mr. Cribbs. Uh, at the end, I did. I actually attended that with uh, my husband and G2 Siddiqui out of Southern California, my Theo. And um, at the end, I went up to to inquire. And I told him who I was, and he he was. You could tell he had had that my dad had had some type of effect on him when he interviews him because he immediately had a physical reaction to me saying who I was and tears, he swelled up, tears came from his eyes and he said, you know, he said something positive about my dad. I can't recall now, but um, the other thing that I found interesting about that article is how California department of small R um, referred to my dad as notorious. And I was really angry about that, especially when he was gone. And I, I thought they didn't even 
refer to Charles Manson as notorious, but they're going to refer to my dad as notorious. So, you know, as an advocate that does speak on issues, I decided that I was going to take that title that they gave him. I'm going to take that because he was notorious. You see, Ugo Pinnell was notorious about prisoners' rights, about human rights, about the change in the criminal justice system and the criminal, uh, uh, what do you call it, the industrial complex where they are enslaving our people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he was notorious. So now when I go out there and speak and I know that this is how the majority of them identify my dad, I own it. He was notorious about those things. Yes, he was. And I am unapologetically black, and I'm unapologetically his daughter, and I'm going to keep on speaking what he was talking about because it's real. This is real. You, 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 you see how this system works. If you say something enough over and over and over, I mean, look at, look at what happened with Trump. If you just keep on repeating yourself, you'll eventually get people to believe that. So they continue to sell that lie about my dad, and that's how they continue to keep him. It was job security to paint him out to be whatever they wanted him to be. But they don't do that. They didn't do that about Charles Manson. They didn't do that about the KKK. And you can tell that every move that they make is a racist move against black people, against people of color, against people who they look at as less than them. Yes, uh, that is the theme, um, and that's why we're calling today's episode Contempt for the Oppressed. As George Jackson said, they created this contempt for the oppressed, much like they did with the Willie Horton campaign. Uh, when Bush and Dukakis was running, they immediately mm-hmm. black or brown people and say, look at those devils over there. Don't don't watch us. Look what they're doing. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I just want to say that Sister Jamelia is here with us now, and your line is open. Uh, welcome back to Abolition Today. Jamelia Land uh, is one of the authors of ACA3 out in California, the Bill and Slavery there. She's also a member of the Abolish Slavery National Network's leadership team. Well, good afternoon, good evening uh, to everyone. Um, hey, thank you for having me. Hey, 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 Auntie, it's good to to hear you here. And um, <laughs> I just want to to take a moment and um, you know recognize you and and recognize your father and the history and the legacy of of whom you are and the greatness of you. And I just want to thank you for continuing to be an elder in my life that blesses me uh, with the knowledge and the wisdom, you know, and and I promise to continue to take it forward into the future and and share it with the youth as you do. Thank you for all that you do pouring into the youth. Um, You know, I'm here for for support, but uh, this is a, a beautiful conversation. And Max, and Brother Yusuf, hello, Brother Yusuf. I yes, have not yes. spoken to you in a while. It's yes, been a long yes. time. It's been a long time. Too long. I'm going to have to bug you after this call. Yes, but, please. Uh, please do. Yes, and, and Brother Max, I want to thank you again, too, so much for, you know, inviting her to the space to um, to have this conversation because it's so needed. You know, as she said, others are telling the story. And if you repeat something over and over again, that is how a lie becomes the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and to bring forward the truth and be corrective of the history is important. That's the only way that we as a collective of people will be able to move forward. Um, and so, you know, I am here 
this evening to to pay homage uh, to her and to him. So with that, you know, I'll, I'll relinquish the mic. But thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for being here. A word. Uh, she is a powerhouse for sure, and we'll be out there with her uh, on August 28th of this month uh, during the March On's uh, efforts, uh, March for Your Vote, uh, I believe it's called. Uh, Jamelia, is that correct? March on, March on for Voting Rights. That's right. August 28th, Saturday, August 28th. Um, we are launching a nationwide march across the country to not only uh, celebrate the 58th anniversary of uh, MLK's historic March on Washington, but we are also celebrating the one-year anniversary of Abolish Slavery National Network and the work that we mm-hmm. are doing collectively around the country on removing this language from our state's constitutions as well as the United States Constitution and really you know, putting us on the right path to genuine systemic change because, as we all know, we can't talk about what's happening in this country in any area without talking about racism and uh, the carceral system is is built upon that you know and uh, hearing just just hearing allegra um you know and and talk about how the depth of the carceral system but then hearing that clip of him um you know just really brings it all brings it all home because we continue to hear these things to this very day absolutely and we actually have a or I would say our uh, one of our sponsors, the Black Talk Radio Network, they have a full hour interview with Kilu Nayasha, former Black Thor, Black Panther, and she's actually in the interview reading a letter that she received, or that Hugo Hugo had written to someone, and she read the letter, and it gives you even a bigger depth into just where his mindset was and who he was and what he stood for, so. Uh, we'll have that up on our page, Abolition Today, on the Facebook, and we may post it on our uh, YouTube page as well. It's something that you all would want to check out to just just get more understanding on who he was and how, just as we just heard from Sister Allegra and from Sister Jamelia, of how what they've told us about Hugo is not who he was. You can hear it from, from his own words. I have a question for both uh, Allegra and Jamelia. Um, feel free to answer uh, any way you want to. Uh, it's kind of two parts. The first part is, can you be both an abolitionist and a reformist dealing with the same exact system? And if not, at what point is it, do you find it necessary to exchange reform efforts for abolition efforts? What's the tipping point? So I'll start with uh, you, Sister Elaine. So at the point in which you change from reform to abolition is when you get tired of not seeing change. That's why we have some abolitionists now today, maybe older, maybe younger. But at some point, you just get tired of the fight of trying to get people to understand where we're coming from and why this change needs to, why we need to reform the criminal justice system, why we need to reform all these different systems that they have in place. So, you know, at the point in which we know they're not going to be listening to us and we're not going to get the necessary change that we need, it might be a point to where we all become abolitionists in order to get change. And probably at that point we'll probably be looking at civil war 
because uh, those who got don't want us to have. We need to recognize that. You know, the haves and the has not, y'all thought that was just a show? It's not just a show. They intended it to be that way. They don't intend for us to have anything more than what it is that they're going to allow us to have. And if it gets to the point to where we looking like we got too much, they shut uh-huh. it down. So this system that's in place right now is meant for us not to be able to advance. The fact that we are advancing against all odds, black, brown people advancing, that's why we're in the state of the political state that we're in right now. So abolition is inevitable. Sister Jamelia, would you like to uh, try to uh, add your uh, opinions to that? Yes, well, that I think you hit a great question, and if you don't mind, I'm going to go a little deep real quick. All so right. I think that we as human beings are equipped with duality and that being in a state of contradiction at times is a normal part of the human process. And I've used the example of the death penalty as that, right? Because I believe that on one hand, you can be in favor for it. And on the other hand, you could be in opposition of it. And that's all dependent upon your own personal belief system, perspectives or whatever, right? And Mm -hmm. so um, I'm often asked, you know, that that question, but in a a very similar form. Um, Because on one hand, you know, I am fighting for the abolishment of the inhumane, dehumanizing, criminalizing of our people um, and in in its various uh, systems that have manifested, uh, very specifically what we call the criminal justice system. Um, At the same time, I am also fighting for the rights of those who have been unjustly uh, violated and killed at the hands of the system, police violence. Um, And so I want those killer cops locked up. I want, you know, because I I understand that the majority of them are operating from a place of indoctrination of systemic racism, right, and that our laws are rooted in that. And so uh, I believe that I possess a little bit of both, that um, when we start talking about reformation, um, it's more than just the actual carceral system, because within the carceral system are some of society's most traumatized and injured human beings, um, that they are victims of a system that has been designed for them to be in the position that they are in, and that we cannot begin to truly deal with uh, how do we reform. We weren't, it's beyond reforming the, the physical institutions of the carceral states. It's about reforming the entire uh, base of the, the, the treatment of us as human beings. And so I don't know if I answered that question or not, but, um, you know, I believe that, you know, like Allegra says, at the end of the day, abolition is just a necessity, right? Because the reform we're talking about can't genuinely happen in the system the way that it's designed. And so we are we are seeking to abolish it, but I think people don't understand that you have to do it piece by piece, chip by chip. And one of the infrastructures of that is something that we are working on as far as the removal of 
you know, this language from our Constitution. Thank you very much, Jamelia. I appreciate that answer. Uh, you know, in the past few weeks, we've covered some very uh, powerful topics like what is slavery and what is genocide, two different programs. We That's what we did. We provided the definition, international definitions, legal definitions, and things like that. And what that tells me is that the point where you go, this can no longer be reformed, it must be abolished, is when it becomes a crime against humanity. The moment that you see it and understand it is a crime against humanity, you can't tweak it any further. <laughs> I mean, we do that out of necessity and habit because it's the only way we've been able to fight is by continually treating the symptoms, you know, because uh, those symptoms are bloody and terrible, and we continually treat them. But once it becomes a crime against humanity recognized by the globe, global community, as a crime against humanity, that's when you have to decide that it has to go and something else has to be put into place. Uh, any thoughts Absolutely. on that? Go ahead, Yusuf. Uh, I was going to say, uh, just as a caveat, we know that the 13th Amendment, in particular the exception clause, is reform of chattel slavery. That was, that's their reform. And so reforming, you end up with a nicer way to tr- uh, a nicer way to enslave people. And so that's, that's when you come to the point where you say, well, you know, we got to get rid of this entire thing because the next form of reform, the next reform is going to become what home confinement. There's the treatment industrial complex now. So they're finding other ways to still enslave people, but do it in a nicer and way. And expand it. Right. All right. Uh, Sister Allegra, any comments you want to add to this? I concur. I concur. I concur. <laughs> Amen to that. You know, put a bunch of abolitionists together, boy, and we're going to solve the world's problems. <laughs> right, Jamelia? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's it. You know, once you know what the source of the problems is, where the power comes from, where the source of the pain and suffering is, that should become the focus, you know what I mean? Because you know, as Jamelia pointed out so poignantly, you can't move forward until you solve that problem. If Mm -hmm. this is indeed a crime against humanity, if it indeed is slavery and genocide, as we have shown over and over and over again, then it must be treated as such. And that also means holding people accountable uh, for their crimes against humanity. Not electing them president, for instance, would be a good start. <laughs> well, I had to throw that one in there. Uh, you, uh, you know, you, you said a mouthful, Max. Well, speaking of electing pro-slavery advocates, you're dealing with issues in California right now where your governor is under impeachment and the competition that's running against him, Larry Elder, is a pro-slavery advocate. Yeah. Well, and one of the problems is is that um, people aren't recognizing that the people that came together to get the vote to recall the governor are all Trump supporters. Um, 
and we're not being as proactive as we should. And unfortunately, you know, if, if people don't get up and get out, you know, I've never been the go vote, go vote, go vote, but the past few years I have because I do understand the power in exercising uh, one civic duty and responsibility when you can. Um, and so, you know, California needs to wake up and realize that this man is, in fact, seeking to be our next governor, and he is scary as hell for black folks. They need to vote no. Are you, are you familiar with that also, uh, Allegra? Yeah, California sleep, and Sacramento is not woke either. So I, I don't understand what it is that people don't understand about if they think that something's going to be better for us than it is with this recall, they, they need to think again. And sometimes this is playing politics. That's what this is. You know, I used to hear the elders say, uh, vote for the lesser of the two evils, and I didn't know what that meant. And so this is what that means. Right now we're in a situation to where we can either go back to Schwarzenegger and Reagan days, Mm. Or we could stay here mm. where we at. Now that's gonna be up to us. They must have forgot about Schwarzenegger. They forgot about him and the relationship with Tookie Williams and what he did right now. That has something to do with Schwarzenegger. Look at here. Right. This is not a joke. And California needs to wake up. This is not a joke. I do not understand why, for the life of me, people don't understand the trick bag that some parties play to get what they want. It's there. It's all happening right before our very eyes. How many more times do we have to watch our communities go through gentrification? How many more tents do we got to put up in the city, in the state of California? I'm not just talking about the city. I can't, I'm not even back in SAC yet. I'm on Treasure Island. All the way from Sacramento to San Francisco, there's tents all up and down. Do we think that a Republican governor is going to fix that? No. It's fixed enslaving yeah. the people because they've, they've criminalized homelessness in, in California right. and, and most right. places. So that's their fix. Incarcerate them. And this, I was talking about homelessness. Cousin. Let me just say this. Homelessness, when you look at this, when I'm riding up and down the highway, all these homeless tents, when I'm in my city and I'm riding down the street and I see a whole stretch of homeless tents and everybody walking around just like the sky is, the sun is shining and everything's a wonderful day. No, we do not make homelessness normal. That, when we start, when we are where we are today, to where you make homelessness normal, to where we'll put a gate up around you guys so you can be safe. Oh, let's go get some porta potties over here. No, that's new. That's a new age enslavement. That is a form of enslavement. That is a form if of I, slavery today. If, if I could jump yeah, in quick and like give you all. It's like it's okay. It's not okay. It give should you not. All this a, is a inhumane treatment. Talk about abolition. Yes. Yeah, that's why we need to raise up. Because look, it's all over. It's all over. It's everywhere. It's, it's it's underneath the freeway. Like you can be driving down the freeway, and there's mm-hmm. you know the bridges that cross over, and there are people encamped underneath the freeway. 
um, where one tumble and they're on the highway getting hit by an 18 wheeler. There are the homelessness, the depth of the homelessness in California is something that um, I don't know if any other state in the union actually has. It is horrific. It, it is it is a crime against humanity. The right. depth of the homelessness that we have going on here, and so yeah, and you know these are the people that we then turn around and we incarcerate, and then when they are released, they have nowhere to go, and there's no programming and all these things. Yet you know the state of California is a slave master itself, because the governor is the one yeah, who yeah. appoints. <laughs> the governor is the one who appoints. So we have we have here, you know, California is the largest carceral state in the union. And here we have uh, California's prison industry authority. It's called CalPIA. CalPIA has a mm-hmm. board that's structured like an organization, like, like a corporation. The chair of its board is the secretary of CDCR. And all the other board members are appointed by either a senator or an assembly member from California's legislature. So, you know, it's it's very interesting, and then they can only sell their products to other governmental entities. So technically, the people who are working inside these prisons are government employees because they're working for the Department of Transportation when they're making these license plates. They're working for the Department of Health and Human Services when they're making these hospital beds and these, you know, all of these different things. Um, yet and still, you know, California – doesn't want to admit that we have a serious problem, that we are legally enslaving our people. But CDCR will turn around and say, hey, you know, we're doing great with our budget because we have a surplus. Well, the men and women on the inside, how do you expect to uh, rehabilitate people if you dehumanize them, criminalize them, and then treat them in inhumane ways and justify it because you've dehumanized and criminalized them? Uh, you cannot expect someone to be rehabilitated and, and want to come out into society and know how to operate as a quote-unquote human uh, when you mm-hmm. treat them as though they are an animal. So, you know, it's it's all of these, these factors, but um, this has been a wonderful conversation, and I appreciate you all for having me. Yeah, contempt for the oppressed. That's tonight's topic. I find that when you have any crime against humanity occurring in a country, whether it be slavery or genocide, you're usually going to find other crimes against humanity as well happening simultaneously. What we do with the homeless, what we do with the poor, uh, the contempt we create for the oppressed, as he just pointed out, uh, these all go hand in hand. And they also are often accompanied by constitutional violations, blatant constitutional violations like we see with the Sixth Amendment, like what happened to Hugo Pinnell and many others with the plea bargains. And 95% of all prosecutors are white. So it's already a racially biased circumstance where 95% of all cases end in a plea bargain. Um, So, you know, we see these things all grouped together, which is why I asked that question earlier about the tipping point. When do you say, you know, we can't fix this anymore. No more tweaking. It's got to (laughs) go. And you treat the people who do it like criminals themselves because they are. I, I, I would like to know at what point in Germany did they decide that this was a crime against humanity and how they reacted to it. Uh, here's what I also would like to say real quick is I want to share a poem from you, Allegra, where you read one of your father's poems. And after that, I, I want to give you an opportunity to say to our audience anything you want to say, give them any 
advice you want to give them or point them in the direction of any help that they can provide. Um, and then we're going to go into our music break after that. If you want to stay with us longer, we welcome you. Uh, both you and Jamelia, we can continue this conversation. Uh, but I just want to give you this opportunity just in case. So I want to play this track first. Uh, if you want to give us a, like an introduction to it, you can. Uh, that would be awesome. Uh, but it is a poem uh, called I Am Who I Am uh, by your father, Hugo Pinnell. Any words on that before we play it? So, you, you know, my dad was always uh, just who he was, and um, he was the kind of person to where he spoke his truth, and he was unapologetic about it. And so uh, I think that this poem uh, pretty much sums up uh, who my dad is. Absolutely. You're listening to Evolution today here with a sister, Allegra Taylor, daughter of Hugo Pinnell, and Yusuf Hassan, Jimmy Land, and Max Parkes. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. 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 He had some writings that he had written, and my, my uncle, his brother, sent me, sent me this one. The title of this poem is called, I Am Who I Am. I am a man from the womb of Nicaragua, simple and plain, incarcerated in an alien land, a man of many locations, juvenile halls, youth authority, adult authorities, tombs of corruption. Alone, I fight the plight of fatigue, chains, donor, cruelty, enemy. In this environment, I exist, and I will never cease to resist. I am a name acronym, but not a gent of acrophobia. I detest the, this correction and contradict all oppression. Correct me not, for I stand accused, misused, abused. My strength exhorts placid energies. I am a shadow of image, tra of image tragedies, rejects the contradictions of reflections, I will remain since I don't surrender. I will win as, a, as long as I remember. Genocide, murder, illness. I am the man who understands. I am who I am. Google L.A. Lion Pinnell. Rest in power, Daddy. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. All right. Oh. That was Allegra reading Hugo Pinnell, or Allegra Taylor reading Hugo Pinnell, I Am Who I Am. Sister Allegra? Hi there. So I just want to give a shout out to my uncle, my dad's little brother, who I know is listening. I'm actually here. And so um, instead of me saying something, let me just shout this out real quick. So this is another poem from my dad. It's a real short one. And I'm going to go ahead and read that. Is that okay? Please. Absolutely. <laughs> All righty. So this is my first time reading it, so hold up. All right. Awesome. Here we go. Exclusive here at Abolition Today. Mini to Max by Ugo L.A. Pinnell. Mm. We yearn for strength here, 
where the bitter winds of the years have known only death and destruction. We dream of things that were and make it in the things that are. The hallmark of our strength is in the people, to you, who are committed to the struggle out there in the minimum confines of America with a K. Can you understand the plea of men who struggle in the maximum confines to erode the old tomb of death? Question mark. Words of Ugo L.A. Pinnell. Rest in power, Daddy. Wow. Wow. Certainly a powerful piece. Uh, line, the hallmark of strength is in the people. Power to the people. All power to the people. All power to All the power people. To the people. All power to the people. And, and he was also very specific about the crimes he was talking about with genocide, you know. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Uh, is there any wisdom uh, that you'd like to share with our audience members as well as any way that they can help you in your efforts uh, or anything that you want them to see in particular? Sorry, I had you no may have muted yourself. On the phone. Oh, did I? Did I mute myself? We hear you. You're now. on now. Okay, good. So let me share with uh, you all the wisdom that my dad shared with me before he died. And I'll add a little bit of that. So in the perilous times that we're in right now, as we fight for the oppressed, for change in the system that we know only can really truly be changed through abolition, um, we need to remember something because, you see, they know about us something that we haven't quite managed within ourselves. You see, black people are emotional people, and they know that. But we need to take... I think take some of our ancestors a piece of what they did because if our people survived slavery back in the day, by all means we can survive it today. Sometimes what looked like used to be it looked like it was a submissive thing or something. That was their form of survival. But what strength they must have had to endure all of what they endured. And what we're enduring today is nothing but a rehash of what they did. So this is what my dad told me a couple weeks before they met. He said, honey, I want you to beware your anger. He said, I want you to get your anger under control. He said, down the road, you're going to come across a few things. And you're going to really need to have that thing of control. So I'm sharing that with the audience because we down the road, y'all. 
and there's going to be some things that's going to trigger us. There's going to be some hurts that's going to be rehashed, like the month of August. It's a hurtful month. It's a painful month. Mm-hmm. It's the month where I have to be mindful of my movements, mindful of my responses, mindful of the fact that I still ain't going to court and got no justice from my daddy. Mindful of the fact that my grandmother is 97 years old and she has not gotten justice for her son. So the wisdom that I want to share is the same wisdom that my dad shared with me. And I want y'all to know it's no easy task, but you got to continue working on it. Be mindful of your emotions. Be mindful of the spirit of anger. Do not allow people to trigger, push those triggers and cause you to just be what it is that they want to prove you out to be when we all know that that's not the true character of who we are in our true spirit. So just be mindful. Be mindful of our emotions. Be mindful of our surroundings. Be mindful of the time that we live in because uh, civil war is probably right around the corner. And we need to save all that energy for them. Thank you, Sister Alexander. I appreciate those words of wisdom, and I'm also very cognizant that this moment can be very painful for you. As you said, this month is indeed painful for many of us uh, because we're remembering the crisis that we have paid along the way and the blood mm-hmm. and life that we lost while we tried to get freedom. So thank you very much. Uh, Sister Jamilia, anything you want to tell us about ACA3, how people can help? Uh, I understand you got a uh, a website where you can go and it, it automatically calls your representative. You might you be, may on, be mute. on mute, we, Amelia. We we may have lost her uh, at this point. So, uh, Sister Allegra Taylor, <clears throat> um, you are welcome to stay with us throughout the rest of the show. Uh, we're going to take a music break, and then when we come on the other side, we're going to uh, talk about some of the news of the day as well as a little bit more about your father, Hugo. Um, and we'll finish it off by bridging the gaps, uh, by bringing the ancestors' words back to life, as we always do. And this week we've got Ozzy Davis, once again, reading Frederick Douglass, and we're also going to have music from Nas. Uh, so, uh, Sister Allegra, would you like to stay with us, or do you have prior engagement? No, I'm going to stay right here. Awesome. Oh, awesome. so glad to hear that. Yeah, and I made it right. back. I'm sorry. Okay, uh, Jamil, I was asking if there's anything that we can do or the audience can do to help you in California with ACA3. And I was uh, pointing out that you've got this slick little tool. You can go to a website, and it'll automatically call your representative for you. Yes. Well, um, thank you for asking, you know, uh, People can go to enslaveryincalifornia.org, learn more about uh, the work that we're doing here in California. You know, we are always open to uh, financial donations as this work costs, and we know that the powers that be have more resources and more reach than we do. So, you know, we call for all hands on deck, however people would like to get involved and participate. Um, yeah, and that's, that's about it. I just want to say thank you for the work that you're doing out there in bringing forth uh, legal freedom to people. You know, we're not going to get full freedom immediately, but without ending it legally, we're not going to ever get it. So thank you so much for being a pioneer in that. 
Well, I would like to say thank you uh, for that, Max, but I have to pay homage to those who come before me because I am standing on the shoulders of our ancestors, um, you know, and I got to give a shout out to uh, Allegra because she is also a member of our coalition, um, and I, you know, I soak up the wisdom from her and her life experiences, and that's a part of what makes us more effective. So, you know, we are we are bridging the gap and the divide. Amen to that. And we're trying to bring as many voices of the oppressed here as we can so that they can be heard, because we know throughout history they were the least heard. Uh, if you read history books, you would think that the abolitionist movement was just a bunch of white men and women, uh, but it wasn't that at all. It was primarily a black and native-led movement. All right, you're listening to Abolition Today. We're going to go ahead and take our music break with uh, Brother Robert King, one of the Angola three who also spent decades in solitary confinement, and that will be followed by Javier Mighty with 13. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. People are fearful of crime, so whenever one is charged with a crime, a lot of time it doesn't make a difference whether or not this person is innocent or guilty. They feel, some people feel, and I've heard jurors say, well, this individual here, they must have done something. This is the type of mentality that is cultured. I mean, it is, you know, nurtured in, in, in the American society. I think while we focus on the condition of confinement, I think the bigger focus is on prison. I think we have to begin to see prison as being a tantamount or equal to slavery. I think people in the United States need to know that uh, the 13th Amendment did not abolish slavery. Instead, the 13th Amendment, you know, if you read the word and it says slavery and involuntary servitude shall exist on these shores except one who has been duly convicted of a crime. How many people who have been duly convicted of crime but who are actually innocent? Because as long as we have prison, slavery reigns. Can't go to schools or read Cause who's gonna serve my master Also the pastor describes all my people last The sheep who exist to keep the land We feed the economy Creep all the crops that then feed on it modestly Consciously knowing you're lesser than And lighter skin means that you're better now So you in the house taking whips And probably dick Cause well you a fetish now Meanwhile I'm grateful for all that I'm giving I'm picking this cotton in rhythm I pray for a lot of the living Escaping is probably a sin And if God ever finds out that I want my freedom Well damn then God's gonna call in the rest Two horses with opposite mass Those nooses they up in the trees And I'm hanging but I'll never fall like my pants Then came the 13th amendment Written in 1865 It says slavery is over Accepted, paid for doing crime And then the things that they made illegal Are things you associate with people Who now education isn't equal And they getting paid enough to eat So we stealing and jugging and shit We need to be fully equipped The system 
victim, the new slave master, brought in to stop us and bullying shit. Cause before we were stealing and jugging, the laws we was breaking was loitering. We go to the bend and we can't pay to find out the jail is who your employer is. This voyage is super intentional. You used to be students in medical. The more than indigenous blacks were the smartest and honestly truest professionals Literally teaching you about chemicals My history isn't viewed on a pedestal Try to tell me only few of my ancestors had anything to offer If we wasn't strong, you would never bother If we wasn't awesome, you'd never put all of your resources in just to get to conquer If we ain't a problem, then why would you want all the youngest who black not to have a father? Cause slavery showed black youth for mad years That whiteness is right Your ma getting fucked, your dad getting whipped but white is the light, and sometimes master blesses you for being a good slave And kills you off if you a bad one So black mothers tell their daughters fuck the master and they tell their sons they can't run Mama raised the girls independent, and she raised the boys out of fear These days black women representing the struggle that these black boys trying to clear Man, we have so much work to do Abolition. 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 You just heard Robert King of the Angola Three, followed by Javier Mighty Thirteen. Very powerful. Uh, we open the mic to uh, Sister Allegra, Sister Jamelia. Any thoughts on what you just heard? Hey, I need that track. I just text Max. I need the track. I, I was texting you. <laughs> yeah, no, we need that. My daughter was standing yeah. here listening to it. She was like, Mom, who is that? Like, how come I've never heard that? I'm like, man, that's because we not, we're not sharing this type of music. Instead, we out here perpetuating this violence and this death and stuff, you know, because we're running around here talking about we're awoke, but we're really asleep at the wheel because we're we're continuing to talk about the surface stuff and not get to the depth of it. I mean, whoo, that was so cold. I, I need to hear that again. I need to break that down. Please send it to me. I, I got you covered. That. For those for those that's listening, if you're you want to hear some real good music, Abolition Today is always providing it. And you can go to our YouTube page at Abolition Today, YouTube dot com. Abolition Today, and just click the Abolition Music Playlist. Uh, we've got several hundred tracks there, just as powerful as the one you just heard. Um, indeed, uh, Havia Mighty, uh, she killed it on that one. And Brother uh, King as well, again, showing that small world. On the uh, 19th of August, 2017, at the Meaningful Prisoners Human Rights March, he was one of the keynote speakers while we were there with Sister Allegra and myself and Yusuf and many, many others. And Albert Woodfox was also in attendance, who's another of the Angola Three. I'd like to point everyone to, if you want to learn more about the Angola Three, there's a great uh, documentary out there. It's called Angola Three, Black Panthers and the Last Slave Plantation. Uh, you can check it out on imdb.com. Uh, it's from 2008. It's a great documentary. It gives you a lot of backstory. And also, uh, you can find a lot of information online about uh, Robert King and Albert Wood Fox and the entire case and, you know, all of the injustices that was done to them. You know, Albert King, I think, well, I'm sorry, uh, Albert Wood Fox spent 45 years or maybe longer in solitary confinement. 
So it's definitely something that you want to uh, check out. Right. Yeah, I believe that uh, Brother Hugo is the longest serving for solitary confinement right now. Is that correct, uh, Allegra? Yeah, yes, that's correct. He was the right. longest he bypassed, prisoner in yeah, solitary he, confinement. He, 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 he bypassed uh, Albert Woodfox. That's correct. Yes, he did. Thank you for making that correction. Right, and I, I believe there was some kind uh, of not to take anything from Brother Woodfox, though. Don't don't let me don't let me don't mistake what I'm trying to say. I just I just like history to be correct. Um, but right, right, Brother Woodfox right, right. actually had me write Herman Bell when he came home. So, uh, great homage and respect to uh, Brother Woodfox. The time that he served in solitary confinement was just as cruel and unusual as the time that my dad did. It's those. Um, constitutional violations again. You just said it. Cruel and unusual punishment. Yes. I think there's a constitutional uh, amendment that's supposed to protect us from that. But Sounds familiar. Right? <laughs> the Eighth Amendment is supposed to protect you from that. And nonetheless, here we are still experiencing it every single day. Uh, not in any well, life oh, degree. Yeah, brother, that, that, that part wasn't meant for us. <laughs> that wasn't that's meant for us. Learning. That's what, We're that's learning what that we have to make it so all of these rights are enjoyed and protected for everyone equally, uh, and that's where the problem is right now. Um, so yeah, yeah. definitely. I, and I'm glad you like that track as well. She's like, yeah, I was texting Jamelia, give me that track. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. We definitely be killing it with the music and the poetry here on Abolition today. All right, uh, let's go ahead back to uh, Sister Jamelia. And if you're listening, uh, you can always call in and ask a question or make a comment, 515-605-9814. Uh, Sister Jamelia, you want to uh, add any more commentary? No, I, I don't have much to say. You know, I'm just here listening and enjoying the conversation and the music. Um, you know, I just I thank you all for, for what you do you know, for disseminating the information to the people who need to hear it. And, you know, for those who are listening, you know, take this and move it forward and share it with others as well. We was talking about that earlier, and I'm sure Sister Allegra can relate with this, but, you know, we're advocates because uh, we are the people this is happening to. <laughs> like, we know this firsthand. It's our families and friends and communities right. that it's occurring. It's occurring to us, and we're dealing with it every single day. So we're definitely not unbiased. Uh, you know, we're definitely not uh, objective. We are right in the heart of this, and we're trying to find a way to solve our problems. And we believe we've gotten to that point where we've reached critical mass, recognizing crimes against humanity. As long as we don't call it a crime against humanity, they'll keep doing whatever they're doing and getting away with it. They will do as much as we let them do. But the moment we start holding them accountable, things are going to change, and that makes them very nervous. That's why they're changing all these uh, laws for voting now. They want to mm-hmm. give us back to count how many marbles is in the doggone jar and shit. I mean, you know, it's, it's like it, it, every time we advance, look, just look at history. Every time we advance, they come up with some new shit. Um, excuse me, some new stuff. My husband's correcting me in the background, and I, I, will, <laughs> I will be monitoring him. We, 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 we don't censor anyone. Yeah, we don't we don't Honey, censor anyone. Honey, I'm not censored today. So I get to be me. It. Okay, look at here. This is what I'm talking about. 
you, you understand what I'm saying? Speak it, it your is truth, what it sister. Is. Speak your truth. You know, it just is what it is, and we need to acknowledge it for what it is and quit pretending like it's something that it's not. This is so, uh, Go ahead. Sister Allegra, I have a question for you uh, regarding just uh, with your father being in solitary confinement for all them years. Like, what was it like just not being able to have any real contact with him? Can you just describe some of what that's like? And I, you know, I sincerely apologize if it stirs up any emotions or anything. Uh, uh, so, uh, well, this, okay, so, yeah, so I do have um, my dad's brother here with me. My Uncle Bobby is here with me. And Peace, I'm Brother Bobby. Hey, Peace, Bobby. Love, love. Hello, power to the people. Power, so, power to the people. Yeah. Um, that was, uh, I want to share, that was a question that uh, that kind of, you know, when when my brother, he spent 51 years in prison till they assassinated him, mm-hmm. he wasn't the only one in prison. They took him away from my family when I was five years old. I don't remember right. my brother... I don't remember my brother. I don't have memories of my brother being home. It's always been prison. Uh, And it was so hard. My mom never gave up on him. And we always visited. You know, there's five siblings, including my brother. And and we got to, went to every prison that he's been in, you know, and when he came close, when he was close, like in San Quentin, we got to visit him every weekend, even though he was in solitary confinement. But it was always behind the glass, always behind the screen, always behind something we never got to touch, you know what I'm saying? In uh, the ugliest prison I remember, the one that was mold, that gave me the ugliest impression was Soledad. Um, he was always surrounded because over there we didn't get to uh, visit behind the glass. We visited in the dungeon. They took us to the dungeon. And he had, we was like 10 feet away from each other and he was in a chair bolted down to the ground and he came in with, with like 80 pounds of shackles on him. And mm. my mother would just fall out, just fall out. Wow. So so really it's it's not just him being in there, it's it's all of us, you know. And uh that that that's a hard one. Um you know, I remember hating the police. Didn't even know why I hated them. You know, and it was because of what I shared with my brother, uh, because there was a time that when we go and visit and my brother was beat up all the time. Black eyes, busted lips. All the time, all the time. Uh, they always call him Mr. Pinnell. That's what the police used to say. Mr. Pinnell, be quiet, because he was always mad. Uh, but they feared my brother. Uh, and, you know, he said, I remember him telling me that they took everything away from him, so there was nothing left for him to fear. He said, get rid of fear from doing it from being a person, from being a man. 
stop fearing. They can't do that no more to him, you know. Uh, I think my brother survived as long as he did because he really believed in what he was fighting in, you know. And uh, and uh, he was just an amazing dude, and I'm just blessed that he was my brother. He is my brother, you know, my blood brother. Uh, and all the things that I hear about him, the the horrible things that he they say he was about and this and that, I know the truth because he's my brother. You know, my brother never had nothing bad. All he said is take care of mine. You know, I went through a lot in my life. You know, I think because of the the upbringing that I had and uh, um, the destabilization in our family. Uh, uh, you know, I, I I went another way when I was younger, but my brother never put me down. But he said, "Don't create a prison for yourself that's worse than mine, because it's created by your own hands." You know, but he never put me down, and he always raised me up. He never, and he always says, "Stay close to mom." Uh, I want to say that, along with the fifty-one years in prison. 40, almost 47 of them being in isolation, he had 35 years clean, like like not with not one writer. And in that interview that uh, that you guys shared earlier uh, with R. Cribs on Channel 2, um, mm-hmm. he said if he reacts, they, but you know what? He, he didn't get into trouble just for that, just to show they had no reason to keep him in isolation like that. He had no right. Of, I heard the po- uh, police before say, yeah, well, he couldn't do nothing because he was in isolation. No, people get riots all the time in isolation. All the time they uh, they get in trouble. No, my mm-hmm. brother did never get in trouble in 35 years, man. Um, and, uh, you know, and I want to say that I appreciate everybody that remembers my brother in a positive way. Because I know that he died for something, you know. Yeah, they they took my brother away, but he's still with us. And you guys keep him alive, you guys. And I just want to say thank yeah. you for that. That and that really, uh, you know, when when they had the when they had the a, a memorial for my brother, and they gave my mom a standing ovation. Allegro was right. My mom needed to hear that because all she ever heard about the bad shit, my my brother. You know, that's what they always told her when she went to visit. Your son this, your son that. But but the applause is the Allegro was right. She needed to hear that, you know, because my brother was is somebody, you know, somebody positive, somebody beautiful, and somebody you know. Yeah, man. But thank you guys. Okay. And, let me ask you a question real quick, unless Allegro preferred to answer it, but uh, from what we've seen, the way they treated him was out of pure vengeance. Uh, they wanted payback, and they do that so often to us. And at one point, he was they were forced to release him from solitary because the laws changed. And not long after that, he was assassinated. Can you tell us a little bit about that part? So, so 
um, you know, CDCR was nothing was unusual in how they did that. They did cleverly set up how they were going to assassinate my dad, though. And it's almost like they, uh, the plot. The plot to assassinate my dad didn't start at Folsom. So if you go back and you looked at the documentary that was put out about solitary confinement, and in particular, there were a lot of them spoke about Pelican Bay. Um, I didn't find that documentary until after my dad was died too. But if you go back and you look at that, you, you know, if you know Ugo Pinnell and the time that he spent there in the state of California, and they're talking to California prisoners, and you don't hear that name or that voice, I mean, one would only wonder, like I did, wait a minute, why isn't my dad in this documentary? How the hell are they going to be in Pelican Bay and not have anything here on my dad, which put me out to the search for the person who wrote, made this documentary, which happened to turn out to be Dr. Craig Haney, which happens to turn out to be, I found out after contacting him that he was my dad's therapist on the San Quentin trial. So he oh. knew of my dad's existence. And it turns out that when I contacted him, um, I just point blank asked him, why wasn't my dad included in this documentary? And did you know of one Ugo Pinnell? And his response to me in the letter that he wrote back or email that he wrote back was that, yes, he did know him. In fact, he was his therapist on the uh, San Quentin Six trial and that he followed him uh, all the way to Folsom, his first trip to Folsom. Um, he got moved. He 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 didn't know. I think he knew that he got moved to Pelican Bay, but at the time that he went to do this documentary, he did not know that my dad was still alive. And he said, coincidentally, your dad was name was on this list. But when I called in to set up the appointment to do the documentary, they told me that some of them had been moved, and so we would have to pick somebody else or something like that. That was the beginning of the plot to assassinate one Ugo Pinnell. Let's hurry and get him up out of here, because the last thing we need for anybody to know in California is that California kept somebody in prison for 47 years. They didn't want nobody to know that, so they moved him up on out of there. They didn't want to bring no, no, no attention to the man they refer to as the most notorious man in the criminal justice in California Department of Corrections. Give me a damn break. It was a plot from the beginning, moving him to Folsom, putting him where they put him, taking him through that fake-ass step-down program that they didn't even let him do all the steps to. I mean, it was all a plot. And, and getting a Latino to, to talk to, uh, oh, in Spanish. Uh, oh, oh, how sorry he was, and I know you want to see your mom and, you know, and your daughter, and, yeah, we're going to get you moved, right? All this BS to move. Y'all didn't move him in there so he could see us and finally be released and have a relationship with us. You moved him in there to assassinate him, preparing the ward, the uh, the set, to, you know, moving all the black and browns off and putting the ABs up there. It, it was a plot to kill my dad. We're not, We're not ignorant to any of this. That's why we ain't gone to court yet. We're still in discovery. It's six years on the 12th of this year, month, and we're still in discovery. Terrible. Just terrible. All right, well, uh, we're at the 830 mark. Uh, We've got one more audio to play. Um, I'm going to go ahead and play that, and when we come back, I want to give you guys an opportunity 
uh, to once again address the audience and uh, send them in any direction you want to send them in. Uh, and then we're going to do our final uh, clip after that. So I hope you hold on for it. Uh, we've heard so far, of course, the voices of the descendants, Sister Allegra Taylor, uh, the family members, Brother Bobby uh, Pinnell, I, I assume. And we've also heard the voices of Rochelle McGee, George Jackson, Hugo Pinnell, and now we're going to hear the voice of Mumia Abu-Jamal talking about Hugo Pinnell, and that's going to be followed by Kevmo Folsom Prism Blues. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. Today. Gilgit. Few of us may know the name Hugo Pinnell. That's because the last time he was in the newspapers was probably in 1971 or 1976 when he was tried as a member of the famous San Quentin Six, six young black prisoners facing assault charges stemming from battles with guards at the notoriously repressive California prison. Yet that wasn't the beginning nor the end of things. Hugo Pinnell, known by his friends as Yogi, came to the U.S. as a 12-year-old from a small town on the eastern coast of Nicaragua. If he knew the hell he would face in America, would he have left the country of his birth? We'll never know. He came, and he has spent the last 42 years in prison, 34 of them in solitary. He hasn't had a write-up in 24 years. After a lifetime in some of the most repressive joints in America. Why so long? Why so many years? The answer, not surprisingly, is politics. Hugo was a student and comrade of the legendary Black Panther Field Marshal, the late George Jackson, and worked to organize other black prisoners against the racist violence and prison conditions of the 60s and 70s. Consider this. When Hugo was sent to prison, Lyndon Baines Johnson was president. The bombing in the Vietnam War was intensifying, and Martin Luther King Jr. was still alive. Of his introduction to the prison system, Yogi would later write, in 1964, I was 19 years old. I turned myself into the authorities to clarify the charges against me. The deputies beat me several times, and the public defender and the judge influenced my mother into believing that I would be sentenced to death unless I pled guilty. I pled guilty to the charge of rape with the understanding that I would be eligible for parole after six months. When I arrived at the California Department of Corrections, I was informed that I had been sentenced to three years to life. California's notoriously unjust indeterminate sentencing has led in part to the present prison overcrowding that now threatens to bankrupt the system. California's prisons are roughly 172% above capacity, and parole is a broken, non-functional agency. That's not just my opinion. But California State Senator Gloria Romero has called the present regime a failure, particularly the parole system. Despite California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger's 2004 promises of major reforms of the parole system, which would lead to significant prisoner population reductions, the incarceration rate has soared. Today, there are a record 168,000 people in 33 state prisons, nearly double the rated capacity. California is spending $7.9 billion, yeah, with a B, in the next fiscal year, an increase of $600 million a year for a prison system 
that has one of the worst recidivism rates in the nation, 60%. Clearly, the so-called Correctional and Rehabilitation Department has failed in its mission to do both. For Hugo Pinnell, for more information, contact www.hugopinnell.org. From death row, this is Mumia Abu-Jamal. Sunshine since I don't know when Cause I'm stuck in Fulton prison Time keeps dragging on But that train keeps rolling On down to San Antonio Baby, mama told me, son, always be a good boy. Don't never play with guns. They said I shot a man down in Reno. But that was just a lie. When I hear the whistle blowing, I just hang my head.
just heard Mumia Abu-Jamal speaking on Hugo Pinnell, followed by Keb Moe's rendition of Johnny Cash's classic, Folsom Prison Blues. The only tidbit that I'd like to add to that is this, uh, this speech by Mumia was done four days after the death of Hugo Pinnell, and word hadn't even reached him yet of the death. He was on death row at the time, so he didn't even know. He just happened to speak on Ugo at the time. Word. Uh, okay, well, definitely a powerful piece there. Great production on that, Yusuf. Uh, with that Thank being you. said, I want to pass the mic to Sister Allegra for her closing comments uh, for this evening. Um, but first, I want to say thank you so much, Sister mm-hmm. Allegra Taylor. And then, Thank you. Uh, I am saddened if we cause you any pain, but we appreciate you giving us this opportunity to share this information with our audience. Thank you, too. So, excuse me. I'm sorry, brother. I had to. Over. All right. So, yeah. Any closing comments? Closing comments. Keep on doing what you guys are doing, making awareness, and we just gonna have to keep on fighting till the end until we abolish a system that's not designed for us anyway. Thank you so much once again. For Thank you for here. that. And Brother Bobby too. Uh, indeed, Sister Jamelia, are you still with us? She may have had to take another call. Yeah, she might have had to take another call. Now, All right, see, so, y'all, y'all know y'all know us y'all know us women be multitasking and stuff. Y'all already know. Right. Y'all know us. Right. Yeah. No, we already know how she is. I, I'm She's on probably the, on a on a call making dinner for her daughter. You know, all kinds of stuff going on. My brother Sam Brown, another call of the AC. Right. Called me, you know. All right. So what we're going to do now is uh, we do want to give a couple quick shout-outs, and then we're going to thank our sponsors. Uh, Brother Ivan Kilgore, right, uh, got nominated for a couple em- Emmys, didn't he, Yusuf? Absolutely. Uh, right. Sorry, Max, because of the computer situation I told you about earlier, I can't pull up stuff as quickly as I normally would be able to. We'll get so it on our website. So if you have it in front of you right now. We'll get it on our website so that people can check it out. Brother Ivan Kilgore from Inside California Prison has been nominated for two Emmys, so make sure you check out our webpage for that. Also, I want to keep Kevin Strickland's name out there. You know, we predicted and told you that the governor of Missouri was going to pardon the couple that came out, the Trump couple that came out with guns aimed at the Black Lives Matter protesters. Well, he did exactly that. <laughs> he pardoned them while Brother Kevin Strickland, after 43 years of being in prison for a crime he didn't commit, is still sitting in prison to this day. Uh, so try to keep Brother Kevin Strickland's name in your heart and in your, on your lips so that he can see his day of freedom uh, as well. I want to thank the audience for listening tonight. Uh, you could have been anywhere, but you was here. We are so thankful for that. Thank you to our guests and callers. Uh, and with that, I'll pass the mic to you, Yusuf. And I'd like to send, them, send those same sentiments to our listeners, to our guests. Thank you, Sister Allegra. Thank you, uh, Brother Bobby. Thank you, Sister Jamelia. 
for all of the information that was shared this evening. Uh, we'd like to thank our sponsors and partners, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, I Am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Save My Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Black Talk Radio Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash abolition today. Subscribe to that page for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program. And remember, Abolition Today is also available on all major podcast platforms and is simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. Remember to join the movement at abolishslavery.us to become part of the solution and also go to intheexception.com. Our final segment is bridging our final segment is bridging the gap. This week we have Ozzy Davis reading Frederick Douglass part 14 and this is called The Inevitable War. That's followed by Nas featuring Ray and the title track is called War. We'll be back next Sunday, God willing, Sunday August 15th with another master class on slavery abolition. So until next week Think about abolition today. Peace. Peace. Abolition. 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 Then came the question, what will the South do about it? Will she eat her bold words and submit to the verdict of the people or proceed to secede from the Union? The inquiry was an anxious one, and the blood of the North stood still waiting for the response. It had not long to wait. The response of the slaveholders to the glorious assertion of freedom and independence on the part of the North in the triumphant election of Abraham Lincoln was the dismemberment of the Republic and the establishment of the Confederate States, a government based upon human slavery. As a result of the shameful and shocking course followed by President Buchanan, one after another of the southern states were allowed to secede. Even men who had heretofore resisted the slave power bent before the southern storm and were ready to purchase peace at any price, especially at the expense of the Negro slaves. Everything that could be demanded by insatiable pride and selfishness on the part of the slaveholding South or could be surrendered by abject fear and servility on the part of the North had able and eloquent advocates. Happily for the cause of human freedom and for the final unity of the American nation, the South was mad and would listen to no concessions. They had made up their minds that they would secede from the Union. They had come to hate everything which had the prefix free. Free soil, free states, free territories, free schools, free speech, and freedom generally. And they would have no more such prefixes. And... So the slaveholders plunged madly into the bloody vortex of rebellion and war. On April 12, 1861, the batteries of Charleston Harbor in South Carolina were opened upon the starving garrison at Fort Sumter. In a moment, the northern lamb was transformed into a lion, gone were the months of appeasement when politicians and businessmen had vied with each other to purchase peace and prosperity for the North by granting the most demoralizing concessions to the slave power. The cannons booming over Charleston compelled everyone to elect between patriotic fidelity and pro-slavery and treason. As the North took to arms, I wrote in my paper, we say out of a full heart 
And on behalf of our enslaved and bleeding brothers, thank God. From the first, I, for one, saw in this war the end of slavery. And truth requires me to say that my interest in the success of the North was largely due to this belief. True it is that this faith was many times shaken by passing events, but never destroyed. When Secretary Seward instructed our ministers to say to the governments to which they were accredited that, terminate however it might, the status of no class of the people of the United States would be changed by the rebellion, that the slaves would be slaves still, that the masters still. When General McClellan and General Butler warned the slaves in advance that if any attempt was made by them to gain their freedom, it would be suppressed with an iron hand. When the government persistently refused to employ colored troops, I still believed, and spoke as I believed, all over the North, that the mission of the war was the liberation of the slave, as well as the salvation of the Union. And hence, from the first, I reproached the North that they fought the rebels with only one hand when they might strike effectively with two, that they fought with their soft white hand while they kept their black iron hand chained and helpless behind them, that they fought the effect while they protected the cause, and that the Union cause would never prosper till the war assumed an anti-slavery attitude and the Negro was enlisted on the loyal side. In every way possible, in the columns of my paper and on the platform, by letters to friends at home and abroad, I did all that I could do to impress this conviction upon the country. Many and grievous disasters on the field of battle were needed to educate the loyal nation and President Lincoln up to the realization of the necessity, not to say the justice, of the position that the war could only be won by freeing the slave arming the freedmen. Concrete bricks bulletproof us out of these walls that are built to defend and protect this bold heart, this bold heart. The way you marched into my home, not few big army with the weapon on your arm. Yes, you struck straight with your cold heart, your cold heart. I'm like Nat, I'm like Nat. I'm a man of God, but where is Christ at? And even though my name is Nas, I am like Nat. Is this me declaring war white flags? I now know why I was even born to strike back. A full moon up in the sky, that's a sign that It's time to get my liberation, a perfect configuration It's the birth of a nation, midwife black Mother, father, Caucasian, my blood Indian native So now I'm contemplating being like Nat About to show you what I'm made of, I'm what race is all afraid of No mule in the 40 acres, and despite that Watch out for the traitors, and when they say make America great again Do they may make us all slaves again, don't sidetrack
Don't want to be a victim no more Depicted as a criminal, especially when you're poor Why doesn't the government order capital punishment to officers Who racial profile and put slugs in us Makes me think they want us to sink On the brink of insanity We screaming for justice, they send tanks Demanding me, demanding we protect the family Anarchy, Ku Klux planning him, demanding he damaged me So my fantasy is every single one of us Come against the evil divided people with common sense the fury, I hope the whole world hearing no justice. So I became a revolutionary. No matter if you're red, white, black, if you want freedom, then we're all like men. It's time for a better America There's a little Nat Turner in every one of us No matter if you're red, white, black If you want freedom then we're all like Nat Let the spirit of Nat Turner live forever. Abolition. 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 Abolition.